All right, so um, we are live, and maybe you could uh, be our little uh, run the mixer. Oh, I don't have the app. What's the app well, called? Mix, mix LR. And when you get that, you can uh, you can go ahead and tell everybody that we are live and lighting the Hanukkia. Gregory is going to give well, we, us... These were actually before that, so I'll, I'll hurry. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah light. Amen. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has wrought miracles for our forefathers in those days at this season. Amen. Amen. That's it. Key is to be able to get all this done before the match kills you. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm a professional. So there we go. Happy Hanukkah, gentlemen. So, uh, oh, thank you. You're, uh, do you want to just use mine? I could. Absolutely. Well, how long is it going to take you there? It's a tiny, teeny, little phone there. And I do have it. So the I tiny phone is not the issue. It's well, you say it's not the issue. Now, his phone, we're not sure about because he only gets texts at the end of class. Now, that doesn't work either. But the download speed is a bigger question mark at this point. Hang on. 300 by 20. I wonder what would be the problem here. Well, it's getting me. It has to ask a thousand questions. Yeah. Uh, bring your game system over here tomorrow and let it download. There you go. Need, need to do an update? Okay. Actually, download something. It's taking forever just to download this. Then right. install this one game. Really? It's like, here, like here, here, fifty something gigabyte game. It's a real. It's like it's the newest one and in its franchise, and it's like humongous. Well, I better shut that off. <laughs> it's always it's always humbling to hear your own stuff. Okay, did you do your homework? Yes, I did. Praise God, yeah, that's good. Cool. Cool. So you got red hair. Yes. Then you do you have kids? I have one. We just we have an eight month old. Red hair? Yes. Praise yes. God, that's cool, man. All right, so you gotta turn the voice off, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So, gentlemen, I would uh, bring to your attention. The Founder's Bible, this uh, exquisite edition is done in some fine Corinthian leather, and I'll let you feel it if you've washed your hands. Um, but throughout the scriptures, um, when there's any, any, any mention of freedom or liberties or God and whatnot, um, there's inserts about the founding of our own country. And I thought that uh, I would just read you a quick thing to get us started today on our uh, class. Our finding fathers were well acquainted with the writings and the theories of evolution long before Darwin synthesized them in his famous book. The founders spoke openly about the creation issue and consistently took the side of the Bible. This was true even for Thomas Paine, certainly the most openly, aggressively anti-religious individual among the founders. In a 1798 address to the leaders in France, Paine pointedly denounced their educational system for teaching students that man was the result of a prehistoric cosmic accident and had developed from some other species. Here's what he wrote. It has been the error of schools to teach astronomy and all the other sciences and subjects of natural philosophy as accomplishments only, whereas they should be taught theologically or with reference to the being who is the author of them. 
for all the principles of science are of divine origin. Man cannot make or invent or contrive principles. He can only discover them, and he ought to look through the discovery to the author. When we examine an extraordinary piece of machinery, an astonishing pile of architecture, a well-executed statue, or a highly finished painting, our ideas are naturally led to think of the extensive genius and talent of the artist. When we study the elements of geometry, we think of Euclid. When we speak of gravitation, we think of Newton. How then is it that we study the works of God and creation? We stop short and do not think of God. The evil that has resulted from the error of the schools in teaching natural philosophy as an accomplishment only has been that of generating in the pupils a species of atheism. Instead of looking through the works of creation to the creator himself, they stop short and employ the knowledge they acquire to create doubts of his existence, but infidelity, by ascribing every phenomenon to properties of matter, conceives a system for which it cannot account, and yet it pretends to demonstration. What a marvelous addition to the Squitcherini Library, the Founder's <laughs> Bible, which has not only the scriptures, from the Holy One, blessed is he, but includes the entire Declaration of Independence and all of our founding documents and the thoughts of the men who put it together. As I said, you're welcome to come and caress it, but make sure that you wash your hands first. That's great. Declaration of Independence written by Benjamin Franklin himself. No, Thomas sorry. Jefferson, I think. Yes. Thomas Jefferson, I think. God bless you always. Good to have you among us. Good, good. All right. Mr. Upham? Yes. How be you, sir? I am blessed and highly favored. Indeed you are. All right. So uh, can you ask everybody how the audio is? Because I couldn't get my blue mic to work. It's something. Well, it was sounding good when we were playing it by accident. Yeah, but we were playing it by accident right here, so I don't know if that counts. Hmm. I had asked, I'm going to see if we'll see get a response. Okay. So I know that uh, Tom and uh, Mary uh, in Florida are actually uh, hosting a Hanukkah thing like they did uh, last night or something there, so they're out. But I, I, I wonder about uh, maybe the rights in Texas, maybe uh, uh, Frederick and Karen and TJ, just see if they're, if they're doing okay. So lesson eight, we've gotten to the cult. Now we've had our uh, several days instant amongst uh, in Jerusalem in the temple teaching. And, uh, and we get to the master's last Seder. If you hear people say it was his last supper, that's not correct. It was his last Seder. There's a difference. Okay. It could be his last meal, but also his last Seder. True, true, yeah. But to specify the meal, that's uh, that would be the Seder. So, a um, couple things to go through. Um, first, the timing marker. We had the first day of unleavened bread, and that bothered me. What date, in your mind, quickly, without thinking about it, if you're familiar with the Torah, is the first day of unleavened bread? Nissan. You say the 14th of Nisan, which is what the writers of the, of the Gospels did, but you said the 15th. the 15th of Nisan, which I consider to be 
First day of unleavened bread. First day of unleavened bread. But evidently, all of the gospel writers said the first day of unleavened bread was the day that they sacrificed the Paschal lamb. How can this be? It's an easy answer. Because Halakha says that you have to have all the leaven out of your home by roughly noon before the before sunset. Right. So you are so on the fourteenth, you even though sunset has the sun hasn't set yet, on the fourteenth you are in effect now in unleavened bread because Correct. you have no leaven in your Correct. Bread. Right. So we've got a day of preparation just as we do right. for Shabbat. When do you kill the lamb? When? Between between the evenings. Between the evenings, right? So you're basically, at the minimum, you're at the latest, you're going to start at sundown when twilight comes. And that means you've actually just kicked into the 15th of Nisan. So you start on the 14th, you end up zero between the days. So in light of the between the evenings reference, which is extremely vague in the Torah, uh, what that exactly means, um, although there is a set time traditionally, is it how do they handle the volume of offerings here? Because it seems to indicate that Yeshua has his Seder, which is presumptively the lamb as well. We don't know, but that does it on the evening before everybody else is doing theirs. That's exactly where we're going. Okay. That's exactly what I want to look at because there's all these theories that there's that a well, if, if you have the you're, you're, you're going to yeah. uh, you're going to bid. I see. Um, this, uh, I see man with man in the red 500. Um, that's what I want to talk about. And I've heard all kinds of wild conspiracy theories that, well, there's so many lambs that year, there's so many people showed up that two days beforehand they started killing the lambs and people had their satyrs a week before. And then some of them had it a week after. I mean, it's just all over the place. So and, and there's also this odd, you mentioned the timing reference. Well, the synoptics all say it's the day before. Uh, the day of unleavened bread, the first day. First day of unleavened John, bread in Matthew however, 26. John, says it's before the Passover in his time reference. So it seems to me that we're talking, I mean, the only way that I think to synchronize that really is either we're playing the game of the 14th to 15th thing or, or that the John reference begins before sundown on the 13th. And so Yeshua sends him into the city ahead of sundown, which does make some sense. And so the synoptics are starting the story from the, when the 14th has begun, and John is kicking it off, like, you know, at 4 p.m. that afternoon. Or it is whatever. possible. It is possible. I think that would be extraordinarily difficult for us to prove. But there is one other thing that we notice about John's references. Almost all of his references are not Jewish. They're Roman. It's John who tells us that in the sixth hour, he was brought before the uh, before Pilate. In the ninth hour, he was crucified. In the sixth in the uh, in the sixth hour, he was crucified. In the ninth hour, in the twelfth hour, you know, and so on. Um, we're going to be going over that next week during the crucifixion because we stopped short of that uh, tonight. But John normally uses the Roman reckoning of time. So he says, before the Passover. Well, if you ask a non-Jew, when's Passover? Mm. What date is it? Or are they going to give you? Mm. Right? They're going to give the 15th, not the 14th. 
the whole, the sundown before and all of that, the night before, that's, that's not what they're going to talk about. They work in days. When's Christmas? It's not the evening of the 24th. It's the morning of the 25th, that kind of thing. So I think it's going to work for us if we take a look. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 26, verse 17 says, It was the first day of unleavened bread. Mark 14, 12, when they sacrificed the lamb. Well, the first day of unleavened bread, we think, is the 15th. And we call Passover that point in time on the evening of the 14th. But clearly, by that time, the week of unleavened bread, the week of Passover, they were one and the same. So we know that the first day of unleavened bread, according to Matthew and Mark, is when they sacrificed the lamb, which we know is the 14th of Nisan. Luke says the lamb had to be sacrificed on that day, the first day of unleavened bread. John says that unleavened bread was upon them, or the feast of the Passover was upon them, and before supper they sat down and all of that, and then we got the washing of the feet. So I'm working on, it's the evening of the 15th, it's the day of the 14th. Whereas prior to this study, I would have said it was the 13th. But wait, that isn't, I'm confused, then why would the Pharisees be, Pharisees, excuse me, scribes and Sadducees, chief priests, chief priests be concerned the about next morning. Right the next morning, because right. by then the Seder would have already been over. Yes. They specifically are worried about being able to eat, eat the, the Passover. Passover. You're exactly right. Let's look at it. Let's, let's walk through it. And so we start next week's homework, but, but still. Yeah. It's next week's class. So let's just talk about his Seder. Yes. So I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's Tractate Pesachim. Um, in the in the Mishnah, and I think gives some um, some additional description because it, it was since this was a a pilgrimage festival. Both um, loads of people. There, you know, there were a a lot of people that came up bringing sacrifices, and the the uh, Mishnah describes it as. First of all, you had every priest on, on you know, on the working. Right. The no, not it's just all, the normal course. Right. All the whole teams courses up. are on the temple mount right. because it's all hands on deck right. to accommodate the mass of people. And the the the, the mission describes um, a little. There's a little description of the process, and it was like a well organized. I mean, it was. It was a, it was a it was a it was a mass production check past you know catch the I mean it's like I mean he's good take the throat literally it's literally and, and the blood was the the courtyard was just drenched in blood because it's just the sheer volume of animals. Is this the year that they counted the the kidneys? Is this the what? The year they counted the kidneys. I don't. There was a year they they were asked who was it Herod that asked them to count the, the number of people that came for the Passover, and what they did was they threw one kidney from each lamb in a bowl, and they counted the kidneys to know how many households. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so they they so not every lamb 
not every lamb was sacrificed exactly between the evenings. Impossible. The lamb that was sacrificed by the high priest on behalf of the nation was sacrificed at the right on time. Right on time. But the lambs that were that the that the that the, the pilgrims were bringing up, yeah, they it, they were they were shaking lambs all day long and probably Shaking. probably even started the day before possibly absolutely right? absolutely um, we know one thing for sure in all of the historical descriptions from Josephus the Talmud whatever you can't sacrifice the Passover lamb after the 14th right can't be done right so similarly in Pesachim I do know that there was a, a the, the each person had to basically register which house they were, they were mm -hmm. going to eat the, the, Where are you going to be? Right, the, the Pesach room. And like that, I think, what was part of the registration process. Like this block of houses at this time that they were supposed to go up. So, I, so mm. it kind of was like in, in China. Yes, yeah, very organized. Yeah. But, this, is, this is our time. Right, but that, but that actually makes a bigger question. Is I, from, from what I believe Pesachim says is like you had to have this registration process done well in advance. And but we see. Um, so, so this was not like a, you know we call up an hour beforehand to make reservations on the phone. Like uh, someone had to okay this. But looking at Matthew, for example, now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came. Yeshua said, "Where will you have us go prepare for you the Passover?" Yeah. Almost like it is a last minute thing. Yeah. Um, and of course, they meet the guy. But, but I think that's that's an even more important question. Is like culturally, uh, this should have been done a long time ago. We should have put more forethought into that. Agreed. Um, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about that guy. Hold, hold on, because I want to talk about the guy. That, that's interesting, because I was wondering, as you were saying that, I kept thinking, like, oh, wow, that's so cool, because, like, Yeshua's point wasn't, like, as much um, go get everything ready as much as it was, like, go find the guy that has everything ready. Like, everything's, like, yeah. done somewhere, and well, I, I, we're just going to be showing up, and, basically. And to that point... Like, because there's, to, I think it's like to that two point, it wasn't just setting up the says, table. Well, right, because it, it says was, like everything was fully furnished. Right. It's wait right. a second. What about the lamb? And it appears that this guy already had it. Somehow knew the master was going to show with his disciples, and this guy was ready for him. So therefore, maybe somehow he registered. I'm going to have just my family, it's just my wife and I again, but we're going to have 14 guests, you know, something like that. Yes? Well, the, the other thing, and I, I do not recall the source of this, so I'd have to go back and try to... Try to sound dubious. Yeah, so you can take this as a grain, with a grain of salt, but um, I do recall reading somewhere that because all the Kohanim were on the temple serving the nation, mm -hmm. they actually had their Passover Seder a day or two before with their families because yeah. they were not going to be available yeah. right. with, yeah. you know, because they're serving the nation, they're serving the people. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So there was a provision for an early Passover Seder. Allowed, had these provisions in it just to, to accommodate the circumstances. Yeah. Which to me lines up with. The idea of it being in the evening, so like let's which, say the, which the 14th is just getting started. Yes. So then. So that would be. 
the day before. Well, the thirteenth was in the end of the end of the thirteenth, beginning of the fourteenth. So mm-hmm. you sacrifice. I don't know what the time frames when sacrifices. I guess it's all by three, right? Well, the three That's, is three is when the the last sacrifice right, can be made for the day right. of the daily sacrifice. But they wouldn't necessarily be doing any more after that. I'm assuming. I can't. Think. I think they I the Talmud says yeah. or Josephus says they stretched. Yeah. They okay. went early and they stretched late yeah. because yeah. the so possibility many. then would be then that. If that's the case, the most halakhically acceptable version of doing it early that I could imagine would be doing it after sunset, start of the 14th. Yes. It's still the right day. Yes, it is. And it's technically between evenings, although it's like in the well, middle of one. Well, it's but, literally between the evenings. But you've got like, I mean, I'm just saying like... What, you're what, between the twilights, when, when would you put that? Well, I mean, at any time, does it have to be? Does it kind of have to be that way because like Yeshua was crucified? Before that's what we're trying to figure day. out, but when right. he's crucified and is which day is which next but week. So okay. just a quick thought on the man with the pot in his head and whatever. I've kind of thought about this today. The guy carrying the light bulb. See, I had so, very well, see, that I, guy! Well, right. Where are you having that? See, I haven't thought about this before, but I've been in light of some of the things we've been talking about in this class in this class, trying to demystify some of the stuff. Thought crossed my mind. So Yeshua is a hunted man right now. I mean, he's in the temples preaching openly. But then he and his disciples go off, and it doesn't appear that anyone really seems to know where they go. Judas knows, and that's important. He's able to to arrest Yeshua because he has inside information, but nobody else has this. I was reading. I would argue that he was not hiding. Well, that may be true, but I'm just saying. I feel like you read the story; it almost comes off like it's a passcode. Go find the guy with the pot on his shoulder because he's one of the inside people. He knows. He's got somebody, you know, that, Yeshua's network. I don't know. That's I'm a, just saying. It's a that's, possibility. A, that's a little more cloak and dagger, speaking of it, than I, than I was thinking. But it's, I, it's I less was supernatural thinking, if we wanted to get away from that. What Does I mean, anybody want to get away from that? I don't want to get away from that. Here's where I was looking at. Is they realize we got to eat. We, gotta, we have to eat the Passover. Where are we going to do it? And just like who do you think? Should we pay the tax? He's got an answer. There's a fish. You know, the whole thing. He's got an answer already. It's like he's already thought it out. He's already got it prepared. Well, he's God, you know. So he says, yeah, go into the city. Where does that imply they are? Outside the city. And more specifically? Outside the walls. You think? Where was he <laughs> every single day? Day to be examined. In the temple. I believe he was still in the temple teaching every single day of that last week. Hey, we need to have the Passover. We're gonna where are we gonna keep the Passover, Master? Go into the city, because we're in the temple. Go into the city. He wasn't in Bethany, he wasn't standing outside in some field. I think he was teaching in the temple. Go into the city, and you'll find this guy. He's got ask me. Tattooed on his forehead, and you just ask him if we can use his upper room. The master has need for your upper room. Yeah, got it already. We're right over here at the lamb. My wife's cooking over there. You know, you guys are going to drink a lot more wine than we expected, but it's okay. I'm going to put it on the master's tab. Everything's cool. Another scenario that could fit in is that in Jerusalem today, if you are a strange visitor, a stranger, or a visitor, or a strange visitor, and you happen to go up to the Western Wall with nowhere to go for Shabbat, it's not un, 
yeah. precedent Somebody's to have someone it. say, "Are you? Do you have plans to be tonight on where, Friday night?" Where are you going for tomorrow? And complete stranger, you can do that. In fact, there are actually there are homes set up where they have an open invitation That's for literally anyone. Yeah. So they regularly get 40, 50 people from the street that just show up. Yeah. Except that Pesach, I know, is different with like the registration process. Is the Talmud even says like if this happens on a on a Sabbath. You have to put the piece of paper that has the names of everyone eating in this house and attach it to like the collar of the sheep when you take it to the temple because okay. you can't carry it. Right, right, right. So like, so it goes like that far. Like, so you have this document that says this is everyone who's eating in this house because the Torah says you must eat it in the place. And so you have to designate this for this year. This is the place that I am associating with for this right, commandment. Right. So like, it's a very like to the minutia. This like the forethought is is very. Um, important sure but again if the forethought was done by the man right. and the man was led by the master who was then referred to by the master it does fit regardless we know a couple of things are true he did eat the passover his disciples ate the passover some guy knew his guest room needed to be furnished and ready to go how we know all that happened is either historical or not important <laughs> Or, I mean, we can argue about it, but we'll never come to a conclusion. Um, so, would you agree that they ate the Passover prior to the 15th of Nisan? Yes. Well, or they ate it. They either ate it uh, on... Do they start and, on and, or before the 15th? They could have. Uh, What's the latest? The latest they could, they could have eaten it would be the evening of the, of the 15th, 15th, which yes. would start the 15th. Now, for Brett's help here, since he doesn't, he's not been thinking in these calendrical terms. How do you know that the latest he could have eaten would have been the evening of the 15th, as the 15th began? It would begin with evening and then morning. How do you know that? Because that's a Yom Tov. It's a Yom Tov, so nobody's cooking, nobody's shaking or anything else like that on the 15th. More importantly. Because the Torah says you have to eat it, and whatever you don't, you can put out in the morning. Right. It's a command. Yeah. He is without sin. He has to obey the Torah. He has to eat it prior to that time. Done deal. So now, we're on, at, at a minimum, at the latest, we're on... The evening, which is before the 15th. We all agree. Now, what's the earliest he could eat? Think about the scriptures you read this week and last week. Before he even rode into Jerusalem, you've got a reference that says it was six days before the Passover. Could he have eaten it on 15 minus 5, the 10th? Well, he could have. It, it, it I, is I possible say, for him to eat a Passover. But, I, I but, say but, no. But, why do you but say yes? Halakically, I think that why? would be... Why? Because... I think, because I think biblically, forget halakically. Biblically, I'd say he couldn't eat it on right, the 10th. because on the 10th, you're selecting the lamb. And then you have to examine the lamb. Exactly. So, and, and that's what was happening. That's why he was in the temple. He's being examined. Exactly. So, 
I think my current view is that he he ate the pass the Pesach with his Talmudim on the evening of the fourteenth, which would be right before and the fourteenth begins. He was slaughtered in the you know he was crucified in roughly nine a.m. you know Gregorian time right. Uh, the following morning, which would have been, which would have been the the day of the of the fourteenth. Okay. And he was, uh, he he died at uh, about now noon. That's at noon. The sky goes dark and all that. And the sixth hour he was right around three. Sixth hour he was. He was brought before Pilate. Right. At the ninth hour, he was crucified. Right. The twelfth hour, he, the sun became dark. Right. And then three hours later. Right. So roughly three o'clock in the afternoon is when, is when he died. Why is that significant? Because that is the moment in the time. moment in time according to the Bible. And why were they hurrying to get him off the? Off the tree and get him into the tomb, because the Yom Tov is about to start, right. which would have been the sundown coming, which began the fifteenth, which is the first day of unleavened bread proper. It is. It is a Yom Tov. That's right. And that would have lined up with the the big one, the big sacrifice of the lamb, the the main one that was meant for everybody. That's by right. The high priest. Perfectly. Yeah. Perfectly. Fit the timing. Right. So, without me having to go run to get the whiteboard, which I'm compelled to do, and I'm, I'm itching <laughs> to do. So, if that's true, and he was sacrificed at, now let's just switch into regular time, so I don't have to do this, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 14th, right? 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 14th, when the Passover lamb is normally sacrificed, and he had his Seder the evening before that, that would have been the evening when the 14th began, then the lamb is supposed to be examined for four days. So 13th, 12th, 11th, 10th is when you bring the lamb into your home or into your house and you examine it. So now back up and figure out, okay. 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th. Right. So now he's got his his Seder on the 13th He's killed on the 14th. I get that. What day of the week must the, this 10th be? What do we know? Wait, have we? I'm sorry. Well, don't normal people normally start with the 10th and move forward? I'm starting with the 13th and going backwards to the 10th. I've got to back up four days. But do we know what day the 13th would have been? I'm going to ask you. What day was, the, what day was it? Sunday. This day was Sunday, or this day was Sunday? No, the tenth was a Sunday. You believe the tenth was a Sunday? That's my current view. What supports that? Well, because we know he was in Bethany on the Sabbath, and we know he rode into Jerusalem. And what and do he we know ride. he can't do on the Sabbath? On the Sabbath, right? Okay. All right. So, so we're looking at a Sunday to be the tenth. Sunday. Let's say it wasn't. Let's say it was Wednesday. He rode in on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That won't work. You can't do what's on the Sabbath. You can't. They would have mentioned it. 
maybe it was a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It says the preparation day for unleavened bread. It doesn't say it was the preparation day for the Sabbath. If you play it backwards and figure it out, Sunday is really the only day it could be. You could, unless you wrote it in on a Friday, that won't work either if you if you play it. But it does seem interesting that, and this is just to chime in on that point, that the um, as much of a big deal as all the gospel writers make out the calendar with regards to the start of the Sabbath, and they all hit and on all that. big big on and that. they all hit on when the Sabbath is over right. as well with regards to the resurrection. And we're going to see that. Next week. We don't get a single reference of that entire Passion Week to the Sabbath. Exactly right. So the only way you don't get the Sabbath in there is if he came in on Sunday. No. Or possibly I, Monday. And if he came in on Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. Is when he had his sin. So Monday, Thursday should be Monday, Wednesday. Well, which is very I think what's really encouraging is when is the triumphal entry in Christendom? On Sunday. On Sunday. Sunday. Palm Sunday. They seem to have that correct. Good. Good, good, good. Which that does also make the math work a little better, too. Again, depending on which version you're taking. But if he has his Seder on Wednesday night. Right. He dies on... And and I want to make sure for those who are listening, you know, afar or listening later, it would not have been only... Him having the Seder on Wednesday night. No, right. Right? I mean, let's look at the evidence in the scripture. Go into town, into the city, and find this guy, follow him into his house, and say, the master is ready to have the Passover here. You know, I've got your guest room. The guy doesn't turn and go, you're a day early. Yeah, you're a day early. What? I thought that was tomorrow night. Really? Okay. I, I could do that. There's none of that. There doesn't seem to be anything right. about that. Right. So Yeshua's and his disciples on option one for Seder night is Wednesday night. Then the crucifixion, well, the, the trial takes that night. Crucifixion night long. begins the next morning on Thursday morning. He dies Thursday afternoon. And we get into next week's class. And then we manage to get the three days and three nights because the three nights is Which always is next the, week's the class. kicker. That's so right. it does seem to make the math work. Well, it does. I guess one point, though. So that means the 15th would have been a, a Chag, right? right. The 15th yeah. is always a Chag. It's so a Friday. Which is, to me, I just kind of realized, is crazy to think of all the people that were involved with the trial, with the crucifixion, with everything going on during that particular day. They didn't. It didn't happen. No, it was the night, day before. Well, but night he, of the 14th. Sure. He's being tried mm-hmm. in Annas' and Caiaphas' home. And this is next week's class. I'm not going to spend another moment on this. It's the next morning that he's brought before Pilate, then Herod, then back to Pilate, scourged, and put on the cross by nine. But that also explains the speed which that goes. I mean, because the when they bring him to before Pilate, it moves fast. I mean, and, and they have all of that back and forth in three hours. And because of that, we also know that's completely illegal. But that night, though, would have been... So it would have started the 15th. No, no, no. 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 The night before. Starting the 14th. Okay. He was in the ground moments before the 15th began. Thursday, okay, Thursday night. Begin, I, I was thinking Thursday night begins the 15th? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. yes. So, you know, they don't want to, the, they don't want and again, this is next week's class. Did you, did you guys skip again? Yeah. So they don't, they don't want to go into Pilate's governor's home because they'll be defiled. Because they want to eat the Passover. Because there's not a week 
to get clean again exactly before right. the Pesach exactly begins. Exactly right. So, you good with this? <laughs> Very bad. Yeah. yeah. The point is, it's not Good Friday. I mean, Fridays aren't good. Yeah. Fridays are great. For different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> if you uh, email me a link to that, I'm now, I know I've got several of them on our site already, but if you email me a link, I'll, I'm gonna be, uh, I'll put it up there. Which, by the way, would also make it even a bigger deal for that preparation of the Shabbat, because... Pesach, the Yom Tov Shabbat, well, would have been the day before a normal weekly Shabbat. Right. So you would have had to prepare for two days. And we've, and we've seen that in our own community. Yeah. That's a pain in the neck. It's, it's hard. Right. And this, I hope, is going to, and I'll, I'll put it on the whiteboard next week, but this, I hope, is going to help you understand when the women go to the tomb, when can they go to the tomb. Why does it take them so long? Why does it take so long? Yeah. And now we understand that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's change gears a little bit. Go to Matthew twenty-six and verse twenty-nine. Who can read that one to me? We're in the middle. Uh, we're actually at the end, middle end of uh, the master seder with his uh, disciples, and uh, he passes the uh, cup of wine around. This is uh, twenty-six nine. I said twenty-six twenty-nine. Oh, 20. 29, Yeah. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I. Drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There it is. So there are uh, several folks around that are saying that he took the Nazarite vow. We talked about this in the in the study guide. What What are your thoughts? It's not a Nazarite vow. Why is it not a Nazarite vow? Um, I mean, he doesn't mention anything about hair cutting, which is just as right. important. So right. I think it's a it's a romance, if you will, but okay. it's not a Nazarite vow. Okay. Although I thought the Nazarite vow could be pretty vague. Like, yep. if I recall correctly, the Holocaust running that, you've got to be extremely careful what you say. Yes, two things the Talmud says you have to have. What are the two things? A declaration. A declaration that you will abstain from something mm-hmm. of the grape and? Time period. A time period. If you say that you're going to abstain from the grape and you give no time period, you're in Nazarite for 30 days. That's the default. So if you say, I'm not going to drink of this again until this time, According to the Talmud, that is an Azrite vow. And the whole first two or three chapters go through the nuances of what you can say and how you can say it. And suppose he was saying it and a Nazarite was walking by. Suppose he was saying it and a Nazarite wasn't walking by. Suppose he was saying it and a Nazarite. It's amazing. There's another reason why I think it could be an Azrite vow is that it's customary, from what I understand, around that time frame. To do an Azurite vow between Pesach and yeah. Shavuot is a short-term thing, which is according to the well, this is multiple weeks away now. Yeah, but Paul seems to do the same so thing. Trying to rush back. back, he wants to get back there for he's the trying for the to finish off his Nazarite vow. We assume it's a Nazarite vow that he's got because he has a haircut at one right. point. They mentioned that specifically, which is weird. Right. I mean, I get haircuts regularly, and it's not get written down in the Bible. But then they also mentioned that he specifically pays for the offerings of some other guys who are doing a Nazarite vow. Exactly. Well, why are five people all doing a Nazarite vow at the same time, unless it's a tradition? Yeah. So if Yeshua is doing it around the start of Pesach, that makes a lot of sense with the custom of the day yep. on top of the significance of it. But the question that I think we should be asking is, which cup are we talking about? Because if he makes this vow in cup number three, that means he can't drink cup number four. Well, he's... he's he... I think he makes the vow because it says, it says right after that they sing, sang a hymn, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, which was not number After that 230. That's uh, right. <laughs> you uh, sweetest study guy. In my soul. Today. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was, you know, him would be a song. Okay, right? Right. Probably so 113 Exactly. They sing the Hallel, which would be cup number, which would be after cup, cup number four. four. Which makes right. the most sense. It sure does. Which was the end of the Seder. Well, but don't you, before you even make the Nazarene vow, I know you sacrifice afterwards. Isn't the, Don't you go to the temple and offer a sacrifice when you make the vow? Well, again, we're not talking about a formal Nazarite vow where you're going into the temple yeah. and, and proclaiming. Well, that's what that's, I'm talking about. Well, but, but that's what the whole tractate is about. Okay. Is, is about making a Nazarite vow in a non-formal way. It's still binding. It, it is still binding, and that's what they were saying. And we, we drew this back a couple of weeks ago to the fact that Jacob gets faked out by Esau, uh, by uh, Isaac gets faked out by Jacob, and Esau comes in, and I'm thinking, wait a second! You're... Then... All right, all bets are off. Jacob, come back in here! That's what I would do. I'd make it right. I'd fix it. He couldn't. He made a statement. He made the blessing, and it stood. Same thing here with these references to abstaining mm -hmm. for a period of time. And I being think a Nazarite in regards vow. to the offering, I believe that was only done if you had if you had messed up your Nazarite, right? Yeah, I, I just I have, started. A, yeah, I have it pulled up in number yeah. six. Yeah, it you doesn't start, look like there's any offering at yeah, the start. Yeah, start. Yeah, you, if, you, if you touch a dead body by or if you're right. in the same place as a dead body by yeah. accident, yeah. and then when you finish up. Now, yeah, you normally would cut your hair to start it, but you don't right. have to go to the temple. But it that. doesn't actually but, mention that either. But that's not no, required. No, no, I'm not saying it is. It's I'm saying you normally point. would start it by cutting your hair. Oh, so yeah. it was the length of the right. hair yeah. that indicated the length of the of, of the time you've been in the vow. Now what happens when your body is the one that dies? Yeah. Well, that's a little question. tough. It's a little <laughs> tough. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It's a lot of quandary. Did the master become Tamei when he touched the dead kid who's now no longer dead? Wait, wait, what? But, but, but actually, no. Isn't there? Is there not a? I feel like that actually that question you're asking. Does it get asked? I don't know. What's the question about? Can you be? Can you be made unclean by your own dead body? I don't think that one's asked. <laughs> you can fall on a dead body and become alive, which means you might have been Tame briefly, and, and, but and apparently you can still vote in. That's exactly right. But and as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I'd be making the vow anyway. I'd, I would go ahead to the this temple. This is one reason why, and not to get, again, too much in the next week, but one reason why it's important that the tomb he buried in is unused. It's not, because one of the things that, that the number makes very clear is if you touch a grave that currently has a body in it, that's the same thing as touching a dead body. That's right. So he's put into an unused tomb. It's just a hole in the wall, yes. literally. Yes. Or in this case, a hole in the mountainside. And that's the only, uh, it's not It's not specifically a grave until he's in it. And then, of course, the whole... And, and then we've got that later thing about Mary, don't touch me and all that. But we're, right. we're weeks ahead now. <laughs> yeah. But also, I thought it was interesting in reading number six today that the references to all the people, family members who can die, that you can't be unclean for. I thought it was intriguing because, of course, you, you, you Shua, can't make yourself unclean. You can't make yourself unclean for as an Azrite. Yeshua has all these. He has mother, he has sisters, he has brothers, he, whether his father is dead by now or not, but... Um, it's interesting to me because, of course, Yeshua is the first one to go of that reigning group. Right. He's not here when James, his brother Jacob, is thrown off the top of the temple. Right. You know, these types of things that, that happen later. So in that respect, 
you get this, um, it's interesting that Yeshua essentially is literally taken out of the picture from any of the uncomfortableness about being a Nazarite when those people are passing away. Right. I would submit that, you know, just you know, my thoughts that his father died before his ministry began. I think so. Because there's, there's nothing about it. Just means he's going to be really long hair when he comes back. Well, you know, I asked that in a study guy. What's he going to look like then? You know? Leprosy is a symbolism of death, right? Um, it's, a, it's a walking death and an acknowledgement. And you're clean. When you're clean, you're clean, right? Only after the priest declares you clean, which is why the, the ten lepers were think, led. I mean, I think people are clean when they're resurrected. I don't think they're officially clean. Well, how can uh, you not be if you're not dead? The resurrection. Did you come in contact with a dead so, body? Now you're back to your own dead body. Yeah, if you're a I'm resurrected not, person, right? I think you're there is no indication that, clean. Maybe there, you have to be declared clean, but well, you're clean. Here's here's a difference. I'm going to take that pen away from you in a minute. Um, here's the difference. When the lepers were cleansed by the master, he specifically told them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Because they, the priest had, declare, had to declare so them clean, right? Said, but but probably when he like raised, well, hang on. When he raised Lazarus, he did not say, okay, Lazarus, this has been really cool. And I know that was pretty trippy for you. And man, do you stink. Take a shower. Go hit, go hit the priests. He didn't well, say that. It's a totally right. different jurisdiction. Right. Exactly. That's 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 yeah. we've gone beyond. <laughs> We're outside the Kohanim. Yeah. There's nothing. There is no. There is no Torah. Moshe, Moshe had nothing to say about that particular. That's right. So this <laughs> It's extremely unusual, to say the least. Yeah, I would. Yeah, we're putting and that has in a Schrodinger's cat element to it almost. Yeah. 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 Are they unclean or are clean or both? That's right. Yeah. Can we Caleb borrow your tactical pen? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that if you if you do that and punch a hole in the pillow, that would not be good. <laughs> All right, that was good. Oops. Uh, in uh, Luke 22, 30, uh, the master says that because the apostles have been with him, they've studied with him, they've learned from him, they've dealt with the persecution that he's been through, that they will reign on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What do you make of that? Revelation confirms that the apostles' names are on the... Yeah. The foundation stones. Yeah, and that's that's the part that I find, I wouldn't say troubling, but inconsistent. I get we're going to, you know, rise and reign with him. Um, I think there are many in Christendom that have been taught that we're all going to rise and reign. Here's a here's a watershed a moment for you. You can't have all kings. There's got to be some pawns, or, you know, a couple of rooks, bishops, you know, whatever. That's what that the Mormons are for. Right. That's it, right? The J-dubs. Right, that's right. I got 144,000 under me. What do you got? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, but it's interesting that Revelation doesn't say, here's Jerusalem. It's got these 
12 gates, and over each gate is the name of a tribe of Israel. And here's these 12 foundation stones, and these 12 foundations are named the 12 apostles. That's what it says. It doesn't say, here's 12 gates, and inside you'll find 12 thrones, and these 12 thrones are named by the apostles. Mm -hmm. So how do you well, how do you how do you I, deal with that? Is it symbolism? Is, no, 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 no. I don't think Revelation is it's it's big picture. Like throughout the book of Revelation, almost everything is big picture. Okay. So I think that when you're talking about the New Jerusalem, mm -hmm. I mean we we get basically a, a one chapter glimpse mm -hmm. into eternity. But you don't see thrones; you see stones. But I'm saying that I don't see a dis I don't see a disconnect there. Stones are um, is one form of honoring them i mm -hmm. think you kind mm -hmm. of get the same idea that they are prestigious the throne element could be in addition to but i don't feel like it negates it in any way if anything i think it augments it ruling over or or judging the 12 tribes um seems to be pretty specific mm -hmm. thrones seems to be specific and I, again i was just surprised that i didn't i didn't see 12 thrones in there well, well, I I mean, I mean, we can, we can, we can. I, I think spiritualize. Of, I, it. I think it. Well, so a couple comments. One is, let's keep in mind that the Book of Revelation is a vision. No question. I'm with so, it. so we have to. So, a, we can, we can make very little doctrine out of anything in Revelation. Sure. And b, uh, we have to be careful what we take as literal, and mm -hmm. and or, and not because right. it is a vision. Sure. Right. Um, I'm just I'm but, just wondering why foundation stones because if that's meant to imply what the master's saying here, it it ain't working for me. That's all I'm saying. Well, I I think part of it is an honor thing mm -hmm. because let's let's face it, right? I mean, these twelve are the only ones. Well, eleven of the twelve will put will put Shaul in a different category. He got an honorary doctorate, right? Okay. But the other eleven, the other eleven are are. The only ones who graduated the Yeshua Shia Kalel, right? right I mean, yeah. They're the only ones that have attended that Yeshiva right. and got the Smicha, right? Right. So they are they are unique, which is why he says to them before he ascends, I have all authority now, I'm giving it to you. Mm -hmm. As that's a halakhic statement. Sure. sure. So when when it says that, that they're going to rule. It mean the way I interpret that. Oh, halakhically, they're judges. They're the okay. din. They're the they're the dayans. Okay. okay. Over the nation. I can the work nation. with that. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I can work they're, with that. In, and I could be wrong. So we know the we know the Sanhedrin Gadol is seventy elders mm -hmm. plus one. plus one. The Sanhedrin Katan is that twelve plus one or twenty? I thought it was plus one. No, I don't think it's twenty. I thought it was twenty-four. Or maybe it's okay. Twenty-four plus one. Okay, so I was, I, I, my thought was, but I could be off. My thought was, does this yeah. represent like a, a Sanhedrin katan? Sure. Yeah. Because they're they are going to be the the Dianes, the Dianim over the over God's over the people. Right. 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 Um, and that's the the place of honor they get because of. The smicha that they have. Right. They're the, only ones on, uh, they're the only ones in history that had that smicha. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Other comments? I've always associated the 24 thrones to be representing 12 disciples and 12. Where are the 24 thrones? 24 elders. 24, 24 elders. elders. Okay. 
Yeah, they sit on 24 thumbs. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. And they have 24 crowns that they but that's give the, to the land. I always associate that more with the the, the 24 um, orders of priests. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Because it's in the temple. Fortunately, guys, that's not this class. So we'll move into that when we get to <laughs> Revelation. That'll be uh, 2019, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way we're going. Okay, so hopefully before Revelation starts actually now. <laughs> so, so did you get the Godfather reference? How many people got the Godfather oh, reference? One, two. Right. Did you get the right Godfather reference? No, one, one. You didn't even see it yet. I one? saw it. Oh, I saw oh, you it. saw it. I don't remember that part. <sighs> Never saw remember it. that part. Never saw no. it. No. Okay. So let's turn to uh, Luke chapter twenty-two and verse thirty-eight. Some homework is watch, watch the Godfather. The is, yeah. <laughs> it was technically Godfather three, which is not a movie that everyone has oh. probably seen, but it is <laughs> like it's not even a movie. Scene. That's not a movie. Yeah. It's a very famous scene <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. All right. So my my uh, my premise here, if you didn't uh, if you didn't read it in the study guide, is uh, Luke chapter twenty-two and verse thirty-eight. Uh, so can somebody read that for me? And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. It is enough. So he's just made it clear. You need to bring some swords. So they bring some swords. Now, I want you to know this is a Makaira. He wasn't saying yeah. that's enough of that. Right. No, no, no. That's, that's enough, enough of that. that. Put that away. So these, the Makaira is a, uh, is a short sword or really a dagger. Um, it's not the broad sword that you see with King Arthur and all of that. Uh, and this is uh, as the best I could uh, come up with from my collection. Uh, this is a, a kukri knife uh, used by the Nepalese. Um, I'm going to pass this around. It's got some weight to it. I want you to be careful uh, because this has got a sharp blade on both sides. Okay? So this is take your leg off. Forget your ear. All right? So are you okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you feel so, so the idea that uh, you know Peter is is taking out this sword, and I've heard uh, some sermons where Peter was just so impulsive, he pulls out the sword, and uh, you know he's not used to that because he's a fisherman, not a fighter, and he takes off the guy's ear instead of his head or something like that. Um, probably not. You're probably talking about a, a, a weapon that's for those of you uh, who are listening either online now or later, uh, the kukri knife is about 13 inches long, and I'm also holding a Glock knife, which is about 12 inches long. And a bayonet or that type of fighting knife is probably what was being talked about as a makira in the Greek, um, short sword kind of thing. So um, you can see that if this was strapped on your hip or on your thigh, uh, remember, uh, what's his name? Ehud. Ehud, the left-handed man. You know, he's uh, putting it on his left, on his right thigh where they didn't expect it to be and got that into the hilt. So uh, probably something along these lines. So these Keep are... Keep in mind, too, that, Pe that Peter, as a fisherman, would have been well acquainted with cleaning fish. And certainly with... Knives. Nice. Yeah. So, probably just a little bit bigger than his normal day-to-day -day knife. These are slightly bigger than my day-to-day -day knife. Obviously, it was fairly um, sharp. But I, the guy's ear. I did. I did want to uh, show you my newest 
knife from uh, <laughs> Quartermaster Knives while we're, while we're on it. Um, this opens very, very easily with your finger. Let me do that again in case you missed it. So this thing is closed and you can just kind of open it with your knife and you grab, <laughs> he's like, holy cow. Yeah, so if you want to gut something or someone, you just put your pinky in here. This part here lights out, I'm telling you. And if you just whoop, it's, this is just, this is a thing of beauty and a joy to behold. So, ladies and gentlemen, it just opens so smoothly and, and so nicely. This is nice because this is the kind of knife, the kukri knife uh, is the one that you can pull from your back out of your uh, Crocodile Dundee sheath and go, that's not a knife. Right. Yeah, because that is a knife. Up or down, that is a knife there. Isn't that cool? Um, I mean, it's, yeah, with the plastic. It's got it's some kind of name, and I don't know. It's a karambe, I think. Right? That's right. Yeah, karambe. It just makes you feel powerful, doesn't it? I mean, there it is. You want to take my money from the ATM? Are you kidding me? Yeah. So anyway, um, I feel dangerous. Yeah. I feel like I'm from the ATM. <laughs> I'm talking about the classic series. That's right. Yeah, you can take <laughs> down the, small trees with this. Not too. the mumbo jumbo <laughs> new eighteen movie. I'm talking about the classic series. <laughs> so, um, so I'm a little confused about the biblical account. The master makes a statement about his coming and his death, and then it compels his disciples to pull out two swords. Two short swords. And he says, that's enough. Or that's sufficient. And so they pack up and they head down the hill, over the brook, up the hill, and into Yeah, I know you can I know you're liking that. I know you're liking that. Try closing it and opening it. It's just so quick. You got a little thing on it, it's a blade liner thing. So you turn it around. Blade liner, push the blade liner to your left, to your left, yeah. Yeah, and it'll just fold right shut, and then you can just put your finger in a little bit, and it opens right up. There's nothing to it. There's no way to open it other than to pull it out. Whoop, it's open. That's quick and easy. And if you if you see someone actually, generally it's the fingers through just like he has it, and when yeah. they pull it off the belt, they pull it out. It's incredible yeah. the way that it hooks on. That must be why it's out. so so easy to open. And then the karambit blade actually comes out the back. So Is that right? Fully yeah. punch. Yeah, it's actually and yeah, slice it's, almost it's, in like an elbow motion. It's like it's wearing like, a uh, what what brass, uh, brass knuckle. Really? Yeah. There's so many. Yeah, like that. Back in the backwards. But when you're man, mashing, can you imagine tearing through just like an elbow? This is like a New York knife, man. The coolest thing is, just like that, and you wrap it around the guy's wrist, and and the way it does, you actually don't really puncture his wrist, but you just like grapple him and take take control of it from a pressure point kind of thing. Yeah. So then you have yeah, you basically you got disarmed him. him. That was pretty cool. Wow. And if you resist, wow. yeah, and if you slit his slit his wrist and he's <laughs> there. It is. It's done. Seconds, right? I love it. I love it. All right. So um, <laughs> these are all props just to get you to think about knives. Um, I don't want to. <laughs> so I believe that I believe it was a setup. You put, now we go to the movie, you put Joey Zaza 
in the same room with Cousin Vinny. And what's he going to do? He says this. He says, you put me in the same room with Joey Zaza. What am I doing? I bet a zero off. So what happens? <laughs> That's right. So what happens? Here we've got the soldiers show up. And Peter, you know, we, it takes a couple of gospel write, readers to finally uh, let us know it was Peter. Peter pulls out this knife or sword, short sword, and takes off Malchus's ear. So if you've ever cut yourself shaving, you know the face bleeds a lot. So there's blood everywhere. The master quickly puts down all of this rebellion and says, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. He picks the ear up off the ground, evidently, and puts it back on. Now, there's got to be some drama when Malchus gets home. Mom, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, nothing. I'm okay, really. There's nothing there. And that's got to be freaky. If he was married, it's probably even worse. <laughs> so I think he was set up. What do you think? Well, so do you think here the reason for the swords and everything, because it says in order for the scripture to be fulfilled and he was numbered with the transgressors. Mm -hmm. Like I, The only thing I could come up with was like, all right, so then... The people that were with him got to do something be, wrong. Like, needed to be armed as well, so that like you couldn't really tell the difference between like who was on his side and who was on the other side, and so it was just like kind of a big mingle. Okay. And then someone like acted as if they were on the other side, right? Like they're coming at him with swords, as he said. Like, what, what have I done that you come at me with like torches swords and, and swords clubs and all this? And all this. I've been yeah. in a temple every day, <clears throat> right? And so they do that, and so they're kind of like matching a bit you know, the, how, how they're prepared and how they're dressed almost, you know, mm. for, for like a, like a street fight almost. Okay. Okay. That's kind of what I was wondering about the, the fulfillment of that verse where yeah. it's like, you couldn't really tell the difference. What's a, what's a transgressor? Someone who transgresses the Torah. Right. Yeah. So is it, is it lawful according to the Torah for me to take my karambit and take off his ear right now? No, no. Suppose he's carrying a club. No. Suppose he's carrying a torch. Suppose he's come to arrest me. Can I shoot the cop who comes to arrest me? No. What with an illegal gun? Ooh! I think you I would argue it later in court, actually. But mm -hmm. cops can't be illegal. What cops do can be. But I would side the other way. So Okay, so you're saying that Peter transgressed. I, I'm just right. responding to what he well, said. That focusing on the transgressor right. topic certainly see he's now numbered with transgressors. Well, what's he numbered with? He's numbered with fishermen and a tax collector, a CPA. Come on, you know <laughs> this is riffraff. There's no question about it. But really, I'm... <laughs> but could it could it be because contextually, right? We have. We have a large movement called the Zealot Movement right. that is all about taking up the sword Absolutely. against Rome. And, whom, and it was that of kind whom, of sword. Right. Of whom Judas Iscariot is, is part. A player. Is, is he's a, a player. player. He's, he's part of that. He's in cahoots and he's trying to manipulate Messiah Yeshua into leading this yeah. revolt. Right. 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 Um, 
So could this simply just be an object lesson where, you know, okay, two swords are sufficient. Sufficient for what? Sufficient for, for Yeshua to make the point that this is not about violence. Meaning that... I, I, I could see that his object lesson would work, but he also says it would fulfill the scripture that he would be numbered among transgressors, and that part doesn't work. Wait. I'm not well. The so Isaiah 53, which is where that's quoting from, he was numbered with with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made inter an intercession for the transgressors. Right. So, I always thought the numbering of the transgressors was he was. I mean, how many guys are on that hill? Three. Who are they? Well, you get two thieves, transgressors, and this other guy in the middle. That's where well, I thought that but, came but from. The number of the transgressors also shows up there too, with the guard. He made the comment, "If you take me as a robber, I mean, they're they're arresting him as someone who's guilty. That's part of the idea okay. As well. so, yeah, exactly. so okay, like, I so okay, so he's a dangerous guy. Like they're worried. He's a transgressor. We're coming to get him. I right, get it. Right. Okay, right. okay. So what? What's it? So what's the deal with the swords? But see now, here's my thought on this. Okay, so Yeshua. You have to keep in mind the context. I think to some degree Yeshua is um, unburdening himself of basically his final sermon. I mean, he obviously talks to the disciples after he resurrects. He's only there for 40 days. So he doesn't, this is like his, this is his piece de resistance, you know, at the end here. This is his big final, final spiel. Really? And he, I think that this is one of the points he's just trying to make generically speaking. As far as his two swords being sufficient, maybe Yeshua was planning to make a point of, of not, not using them. But I think that Peter jumps the gun, jumps the gun, um, almost literally. And the point being that the other, if you read one of the gospel accounts, the disciples go, should we fight back? And before Yeshua even really has time to answer, Peter goes ahead and yeah, swings right. the sword out. So I think Yeshua's why? response to because Peter, they're though, all, they all of them, even though, even though Judas is the only one who is a zealot, um, or at least a, you know, well, he's a card-carrying member. Right. We know Simon but, is, too. But so. all of them have this still have this same expectation that Messiah is going to um, is going to restore the kingdom, set up his kingdom. So when they're asking, get them out from under Roman fight, rule, because, because now now there's a direct. I mean, you know, there's a conflict. Should, there's a direct conflict now where clubs and swords are drawn by the other side. Right, like, right. Know, his his. His life is clearly, you know, and they're there with him, and it's like maybe this is now. This is where he's going. I'm to. with you 100, percent Greg. Right. But that explains why he pulled the sword, not why Yeshua had them bring the swords. I'm really no, struggling. I, no, it with no, it make to me it makes sense because then he, that means he, he was, was setting them up. He was he was setting them up. Bam! There it is. He was setting them. He was. He's, All right, I wanted I wanted on tape. This man said he was setting him up. He, he knows what they're. He knows that they have this expectation. But why did they have to bring the swords? Because Unless the Malchus expectation is, here. is the expectation is that we are that we are going to resist Rome. Okay. Resistance, by definition, by but we both know. We both know he had no intention so of doing that, and so that's why he has him bring the swords so that he can say. You got your swords? Let me tell you. Put your swords up because we're not doing it that. That's not now. But I don't. The day for that is not now. But I don't think that 
Peter slicing off the ear. Well, I'm not saying Yeshua. I'm not saying Yeshua didn't know that was going to happen. But my point is, I don't think that's quote unquote part of the plan okay. because Yeshua's response to Peter, to me, is pretty disappointed. Almost like like he like, like oh come on. You'd almost you'd almost expect him if, if it was part of the plan. Like yeah, I knew that was going to happen. That's what I was going for. And almost like wait, guys, guys, put him down, put him down. Instead, he instead he almost looks Peter in the face and he's like. Those who because use the sword will die by the sword. I mean, it's a the inner, stern response. Part of the inner circle. And if you anyone should, know should have known better, yeah. better, it's Peter. Well, but I'm saying, though, I'm saying like, the sword thing, it may be a setup. I don't think that Yeshua was trying to get Peter to use the sword. Okay. So read me the two verses prior to those will be enough. Okay. 22. How about the for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered for the with the transgressors. Back up one more verse. Okay. Well, I'll start here. Okay. Wait, wait, what verse are you in? We're in Luke, chapter Luke 22, 22 of Luke. Uh, and he said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So my take on it, and as you would say, currently, is, I, I guess, an amalgamation of what, what you're all saying. I think the master is making it clear that he has come for a specific purpose. Hmm. And as we've seen, he often alludes to that second purpose where he'll set up his kingdom. And he's teasing it. Repent. Continue to have enemies at hand. And he's mixing the two together here in a, in a for and later type of scenario. I'm coming, and if you don't have a sword when I come, you need to get one. Sell the knapsack because you need a sword for that time. I need to be numbered among the transgressors. Meaning, in a moment, we're going to get arrested and they step up with the swords and he's like, yeah, that's enough. Not now. Exactly. That's enough. We're done with the lesson. That would be enough swords. Two, two guys, two swords. That's enough. We don't need an army. But it's not now that we're going to be doing it. And I think they missed the metaphor a little bit because they wouldn't even have brought them had they actually gotten where he was coming from. So don't think it was a setup of Peter. But Peter being the zealous one, okay, um, is the one who steps out onto the water, asked to, to walk on the water with him. He's the one who's like, you're not washing my feet. He's the one who's like, what? Oops. I'll die did you need? Here. Did you need that here? Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Wait, so, to your point, do you think? Well, of course, I that, I won't phrase it that way. Do Do you think that there was like this little tiny hope that the kingdom would be set up because mm -hmm. it's right after that that you should praise the prayer? Yeah, like look, it please don't you know if if there's any way out of this, like please let it be so. And he says otherwise let your will all be done. that you've given me, I haven't lost one. 
accept that one. Right. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting yeah. timing. It, it, it is. Well, it, I think it's, I mean, I, I guess the way I, the way I view it, I mean, it, I don't disagree with anything that's been said. I guess the way I view it, though, is he knows that they, he knows they're still thinking and hoping that he's going to be Ben David. Right now. Now. And I believe that's and why Judas. That, and, he, and, and Judas, of course, is trying to force he's, that he's to be true. Yeah. Right? He's trying to force that to be true. The rest of the disciples still hope that that's true. And he knows that that's what they want. And he's about to, he's, he's about to use this little incident to make a very, a very specific point to them that now is not the time for armed violence and resistance. And quite frankly, if you go all the way back to the first uh, prophecy of his birth, it was not by might, but by the work of God. Right. Right. So. He's like coming with the clouds. Yeah. What do you, uh, what do you think he was warning them about regarding the temptation? That's also before this. He says twice in Luke 22, uh, pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's the very, that's first. And then he goes and prays and he comes back and he finds them sleeping. And then he says again, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Do you think that's a potential foreshadowing it, of the mistake that Peter makes? It or could what do you be. Think? It could be. Um, but I, I think it's more likely a temptation to forsake him. Mm. Well, I, th I think it's also in the context of what's happening, he's being tempted yeah. in that moment. He himself is being tempted to walk away, right? right? To not walk fulfilling. away from what he knows he has to do. And so he's saying, I mean, let's face it, he's, 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 he's sweating blood because the temptation is so right. gut-wrenching, right. right? He's saying... I hope you guys don't ever have to go through this. I mean, this kind of temptation where he is asking to not Hashem, you know, if Pick there somebody is up. a way, let this cup pass from me. Yeah. But he overcomes the temptation, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You know, but the anxiety that he had was. You know, I don't think that any of us can even really yeah. imagine horrible anxiety you get. All right, I got two things to walk through real quick. We got ten minutes. Um, John thirteen. We'll we'll change uh, change it up a little bit here. John chapter thirteen and verse eighteen. Uh, the master says, uh, that the the evil one, or if you will, Judas here, has lifted up his heel. They're all concerned in verse 26. Who is it? Who are you talking about? And he says, the one I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to dip this in the, uh, in the soup here. And the one I hand this morsel to is the one. He hands it right to Judas. How come they didn't get it? I was wondering, so in that, the John reference is the one that makes it the most clear, but if you reference that passage in the other uh, synoptics, 
Um, it's a quote from the, I think it's from the Psalms. It, uh, David David yeah. uses uh, the ones who sit at my table have raised their heel against me. So mm -hmm. I think that it's possible that, you know, Yeshua speaks in parables so often. You know, he's saying... Well, but, I mean, he's giving them a timing marker right here. The no, one who I hand this sop to... Is no, I know, but I'm saying that, like... It Why didn't be, they get it? I'm thinking that they may be thinking that this is still part of the same idea, you know? he's He hands it off, and they're like, right, because it could be any one of us. You know, almost like it's just... Okay. It's so shocking that they're all kind of okay. absorbed. That works, sure. I think the bigger question is why when Judas asks, is it me? And he says, you've said so, that nobody else is going, what, what was that, Yeshua? What were you saying? Yeah, that's what uh, I When he said he lifted up his heel, I went right to Genesis 3.15. With the whole, you will, he will bruise you on the, on the head, and you will bruise him on the heel kind of thing. It's what is the actual reference there? What is it? John thirteen eighteen. No, no, no. What, what's the Tanakh reference he's quoting from? It's from Psalms. Oh, yeah, it's. it's, it's I didn't write down which Psalm it was, but yeah, it's also. Yeah, I guess I don't really understand the euphemism. Is it to lift up a heel? Well, I think to lift up a heel is yeah, like, like, you know, like yeah, to, to, to kick at him. Was well, also extremely important in Middle Eastern culture. You do right, not sure. the, the bottom of your foot is yeah, a signal bad, of, bad of uh, this is great respect. Right. This is the Greek word terna. And you're, you're, you're insulting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're insulting everybody. This, so. <laughs> this, is, this is the Greek word ternus, and it is exactly the same word that's used in Genesis 3.15. It is the word used for heal. It's a quote from Psalm 41, verse 9. Yeah. And it says, um, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Yeah. My closest friend kicked me. And, and that's exactly what happened here. I, I guess the right. way... The way in my own mind I envision this happening is he makes the statement that whoever I, you know, hands to is the one. And he, as soon as he makes the statement, like, like this kind of mini ruckus breaks out. Like, what? What is he talking about? You know, in me? I can't, you know, and they also, while that's like, going on, while he's going on, he leans over to, to Judas. Yeah, what you got to do? Because it says it's not entered him. And he looks. He leans over to Judas. They're all arguing amongst themselves and trying to figure out what is he talking about. And he has this little interaction with Judas. They never even see it happen. Yeah, I agree. I think they were blinded to it the same way that the Jews have been blinded to Messiah. No question about it. And like I said before, Yeshua is so metaphorical throughout his whole ministry. Yeah. Can you really tell if he's talking about now? They, they, then the us, four disciples or? seem to regularly be thrown by that. It's like was that literal? And sometimes they pull him into a room. Okay. What did that parable mean? Well, even in John, Yeshua, this this little sermon, Yeshua says something about going away, and they're all like, where is he going? I don't get yeah. this. And he's like, okay, I'm going to stop, stop with the metaphors. And then he kind of says, I'm going to the Father. Out of this world. Oh, got you. Yeah, okay, show us so. the Father. Thomas, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it, it does say specifically that they actually heard him say that. Oh, yeah. And then they're wondering why. Um, they heard him say, whoever I... Well, no, because then he says, well, what you were going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said that, or said this to him, etc. And they thought right. it was the other money or whatever. Yeah. So maybe it's just, they were used to not understanding things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> saying, cool. maybe, okay, whatever you say. Maybe it yeah. was very surprising that it was Judas, that they couldn't really wrap their heads around it. Mm. 
That was my thought. Was like that's a good point. That's that's like him. not like, believing like that really, I could. Because their I assumption is that he's going to go give money to kidding? the poor. <laughs> like I mean, I mean they, yeah. they think he's a pretty good guy. I guess. Like talk about like good eye here, right? Like well, because, because it says, I mean, verse twenty-two, the disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know which right. you know, which one. Like you say, they're, so they're, it's like, they're, they're like what, what's going on? Need to talk to him. It's like I could just see this kind of like yeah, you know. And, and while, while it's all, all going, going on. on, yeah, yeah, it's like an almost, Italian family. I mean, you can almost imagine too. You know, she's got this big piece of matzah. Yeah, he's cracking pieces off of. You know, dips it in, hands it to Judas, and we're on to the next one. You know, do what you have to do. And so people are like, "Wait, was that it? Did he get was, was Judas the second one he got it or the first one he got it? Was it? Well, you know, I don't know. I'm just yeah. saying. Like, throughout the night, he probably handed bread to everybody. Well, yeah. he did. We know that. <laughs> So, but then, but I do think though too that like um, this whole moment. Plus, they're Jews. There's a lot of wine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you also got to think too that like going back to the whole not recognizing Judas was. I mean, if Judas is is actually a Sicari, which means that he's like an assassin type, the guy is like he bleeds Judaism. Like he is so passionate about making yeah. sure that Israel is independent from underneath Rome. It's like the thought of him betraying the Messiah is insane. Yeah, don't think. Uh, he, yeah, he's a Zionist before Zionism was cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, he yeah. is really hardcore, like violently hardcore. In fact, yeah, that's one reason why one of the one of the one plausible explanation about why he does it in the first place is that he's trying to force the issue because he's disappointed exactly. in Yeshua's act. It's not strong enough. Right. He's he's passively letting them do. All right. Good. That was a good conversation, guys. Thank you. Um, quickly, I want to move to John 17 in verses 5 and 24. Uh, we started out early in class, um, lesson one or two, uh, discussing at one point whether or not Jesus or Yeshua had ever claimed to be the Messiah, and that there were some that would say that he had not. And I think we've got two very cool uh, deals going on here. In John 17, verse 5, he says, to the, as he's praying to the Father, uh, that he wants it the way it was before, the way they were together, before the world existed. And then uh, second in verse 24, before the foundation of the world, which leads us right back to John chapter 1, and that whole spirit of Mashiach hovering over the waters and all of that. So, um, and, and, I mean, the sages say what were the things that existed before the creation? And Mashiach is one of those things. And times. And the times. <laughs> so uh, I, I, just, I just really appreciated that. And I hadn't seen it before. So. The whole diet, the, um, the Scott dis dissertation, I don't know what you would call that, the Yeshua, that chapter John 13 through 17, yeah. Yeshua makes... Uh, I and the Father are one. If you see me, you see the Father. I mean, he Constant. uses those. He does play that game a little bit in John 17 where he talks about may they be one and we are one. So it kind of raises some questions about what he really means there. But aside from those references, the other references seem to indicate very strongly a, I mean, I don't really know how you get around a yeah. deified Messiah, I'm, really. I'm, I'm out of this world and I came into this world in order to save this world. And I'm going back out of this world. But also the way his, it used to his be. references to if you see me, you see the Father, all that I have, he has, and all that he has, I have. I mean, there's a lot of like yeah. 
there's equality he's establishing there with the, with the no father problem. that is but, kind of unusual. But he also says, let me find it, um, he makes a statement. Find it, but he makes a statement, something to the effect that <coughs> the father is greater than me. That was earlier in John, too. Is it earlier in John? So, so in some places, he, he says we're one. Well, I think he's speaking as a tzaddik, right? That he's, I've got the relationship, and that relationship I have, you can have through me, which is what um, Judaism is teaching today. Right. Um, so there's the acknowledgement that the Father is greater, but there's still that relationship, and they are together and one in that, and we can do that, so you can have that relationship through me. Yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's the idea, there's the idea of Achad, and there's the idea of Yehud, I think is the other um, concept of a, of a unity. Mm -hmm. um, and they have in... in Kabbalah they're used slightly different, but yeah, and I know you know this is you know um, this is heretical for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but to me the 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 best way I've ex the best way for me that I've seen this kind of relationship that he's describing here with the kind of language he's using. Mm -hmm. The best way I've seen that described in Judaism is in is through Kabbalah. Yeah. They seem to have they have no problem with this kind of language. That's right. And they have a way of explaining it that actually makes a fair amount of sense. Yeah. And it also removes the divinity of the tzaddik and allows him to be a regular guy, just amazingly holy. And because of that. Is closer to God than we are. Kind of thing. I love it. All right, good, good. Last uh, last point, John eighteen. Uh, we have the arrest, and this is uh, this is this is weird. I've heard a lot of different things about this um, in uh, in the church. Uh, the the soldiers uh, come up the hill, and they've got swords, and they've got lanterns and clubs, and they. Uh, they just kind of come to the top of the hill, and they stop, the way John 18 puts it. And the master has to turn to them and say, who are you looking for? Well, we're looking for Yeshua of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they fall back and fall down, which makes a lot of noise, actually. And he waits. They get back up. And he asked him again, who are you looking for? We're looking for Yeshua. I told you. I am he. And they fall down again. And then he arrested him. So I have heard uh, some uh, very charismatic preachers uh, say that, see, he's, he's saying, I am. And this is the same I am that was at the burning bush in Exodus 3. And because he says, I am, they have no... They can't help themselves. They have to fall down because he is 
the I am. And I always read that and I went, well, you know, that sounds pretty cool. But he said, I am he, not I am. And he surely didn't say it in Hebrew because they weren't Hebrew. They wouldn't be able to understand him. But these would have been Hebrew. These are these not are guards from behalf of the chief priests, not Romans. Okay, but not necessarily okay. speaking Hebrew. Could have been. But either way, we have it in Greek. Egoemi. Egoemi. Egoemi, actually. Um, and I was... Uh, Close enough. <laughs> I, I was... I never really thought... I originally... Okay. So I, I thought that I am thing, that's really cool. That's probably true. And then I'm reading it in English and going, I am he. Well, he didn't say I am. He said I am he. Well, it turns out he wasn't speaking in English. I know it's a shocker, really. But um, in King James, which is what he was really speaking, <laughs> I am thou that thou seekest. No, no, no. Um, yeah, in, uh, in the Greek, ego eimi is exactly how the Septuagint translates Exodus 3. Hmm. Verbatim, I can cut and paste the two. So all I'm saying is I've heard the charismatic preachers, and they're not far off the mark. Scripturally, he literally said what the Septuagint says, the Holy One, blessed is he, said from the bush twice. The Holy One said it twice. He said it twice. And he said exactly the same thing. In fact, ego eimi atheas to patras. I am the God of your fathers. He said it twice. Yeshua said it twice. I can't find another reason why these guys would fall down. So... The other connection that I've heard with this same incident yeah. is um, going back to Harsinai. Okay. Because there's a in the Midrash there's a tr there's a tradition that says when the voice when they saw the voice saw the voice yeah that's weird that that the entire nation fell right and they their souls actually departed they that's it we're done. Which is why, and then the, and then their soul, their souls returned, and they were resurrected. Okay, and that's when they told Mo, "We can't do this. We again. can't do this again because <laughs> we're we're gonna die. We just died we just momentarily. Died. <laughs> we really don't want to die again because we don't know. You know, what if he decides not to resurrect us, right? But it was the voice when he began to speak. Yeah, you know." Um, Ani Adonai Elohecha, Elohecha, right? I am, and it was like immediately the entire nation, boom, out, and their souls depart. So, to the extent that Mid Midrash is picking up on the same, yeah, yeah, because that's what John does, right? The same, the same sort of impact that when you know, it's like when he they asked a simple question. Oh, I, uh, you know, like, you know. Well, there, I like it. I another, like it. I didn't realize that. that and was, there's that's another good. midrash that also lines up with this, which 
if you're because there's two ways to look at this. One is that this is an illusion to indicate Yeshua as Hashem, which right. could be, right. which I like I was saying earlier, like earlier parts of John were kind of playing with that at least. Yeah. Um, and or another version is that this is an allusion to Moshe because there's another midrash that teaches that when Moshe kills the the Egyptian, game with the Egyptians beating the yeah, Jewish yeah. guy. He uses a divine name. He comes up, he uses the divine name. Yeah. He speaks the name of God, poof, the Egyptian just dies immediately. Got it. Okay. So what's interesting about that is that the phrase I am in Exodus chapter three is oftentimes linked to the divine name because Hashem says, I didn't use this name or I didn't explain this name right, to right. the patriarchs. So when Yeshua says that, there is almost a similar kind of idea here again, yeah. in which the the bad soldiers in this case are, you know, subservient to the Taking force of his words. And to use a, a charismatic term, right? They're slain, slain in, the in the spirit, right? right? Exactly. Which is what it appears to be. I mean, you know. And this falls right in line, I think, a lot too with many of the um, uh, legend style stories regarding the various heroes of the faith throughout, like. I mean, you've got, you know, uh, the um, Baal Shem Tov is walking across mountains and just steps out into space and keeps walking because that, you know, he's so righteous, the ground runs up to meet him. You know, so that that's like that kind of a thing yeah. is normal in Jewish tradition. Yeah. So this type of a story, as weird as it might seem to us, actually fits very well with the way that the super righteous are sure. treated. Sure. I just, I don't, I'm going to try to avoid the 2,000 years of, of stuff afterwards, if we've got stuff like the midrash of what happened at the mountain, I'm, you know, I like well, that. And then also too with the um, with the, I mean, even with the brothers, because we're in Joseph's parsha right now. Mm -hmm. With tradition, whole is another midrash. This is when the brothers go and meet the um, Joseph. I think it's Judah and Benjamin uh, say something, and they speak with such force that the entire country starts to shake. But Ephraim, who of course is also of Hebrew blood and is also noble and super whatever. Anyway, he responds back and silences them. So like there's this idea of, I mean, not to get too weird, but the Midrash treats the super righteous patriarch type yeah. characters as almost like superheroes. Right. So again, this story is not out of place. Right. Especially for John. And we expected right. in John, after all we read, not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. You know, Luke's trying to convince Theophilus, who's Greek, that this really happened. It's like, we're not going to tell him that part. Right. But it fits even better when, I mean, obviously the Gospels are, that we have today are written in Greek. Right. But I'm willing to bet dollars to dollars he did not say it in Greek, because I'm, I'm with you. I think yeah. I think the soldiers, these are temple guards. So you think they spoke I to him in Hebrew speak, and I said, think they're we're looking Jews for Jews who speak Hebrew or Aramaic. Okay. And or, probably yeah. both. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and they may speak Greek too, but Native I, think, I think Yeshua addresses them in Hebrew, which, which means, means he's actually just like exactly. Very cool. I think it's really cool too that he, right after that, he says like, "If it's me you're looking for, let all these guys go." That's just like that is so boss. <laughs> it is. It is. It's great. It's great. I I can't. What I I didn't have time to do was try and fit the other gospel narratives about the arrest into John's. Because John's appears to be, who are you looking for? <clears throat> who are you looking for? <clears throat> and, that, and it makes so much sense because we know John, the point of John's gospel He's God. Is to, is to prove that he's Messiah. And he's divine. And he's divine. I get it. 
And it works. And so he's bringing out those aspects. What I can't figure out is, so where did Malchus's ear happen in that? Because they got to weave together. So it must have been when they came up to take him, now they're close enough because this is not going to work to throw, and this is not going to work if you're not holding on to it. This is not even going to work as far as he is for me. This is this is an up-close kind of, kind of weapon. So they had to get close enough, and when they did, I guess, you know, Pete just got a little zealous. All right. It was good to have you here. Dressed in red, kind of bright, you know, but it works. You know? Do you, uh, you think you can uh, close us in prayer? Of course. Please. Master of the Universe, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the men that you inspired and put in time to document these things. And, and we thank you for guarding these words and these testimonies that we may, thousands of years later, reflect and study them um, to give me glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right.